Welcome to The Trauma Tales, a production of Third Star Media and Shanna White Psychology. This podcast deals with some pretty heavy topics, including domestic violence, substance abuse, mental illness, crimes against children, self-harm, sexual abuse, multi-generational trauma and suicide. If you don't think that you're in the right headspace to deal with any of these topics right now, please cut yourself some slack, take a deep breath and come back another day. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and the elders in all the lands on which we work and meet. I appreciate the significant place Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders hold and I identify them as the first Australians. I value and celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history, culture and future and am committed to supporting reconciliation through speaking the truth, pursuing justice and creating opportunities to heal together. Trauma. It's a word that you've probably heard thrown around quite a bit. But what is trauma, really? My name is Shanna White, but you can call me Shan. I'm a psychologist, and defining trauma is a pretty big part of my day-to-day life. But my job goes beyond providing a dictionary description of what trauma is, because that's just the tip of the iceberg, as they say. No, my job is to define trauma and highlight its impacts and, most importantly, to help those who live through trauma to figure out how to thrive beyond it. I've spent years working with children, adolescents and adults. I try to guide them through the process of recovering from complex trauma. Needless to say, I've seen and heard a lot. And now, you will too. So welcome back to the Trauma Tales podcast. Um, Today I'm with Rachel. Thank you for joining me today, Rachel. No worries. So tell us about what's brought you into the Trauma Tales podcast today. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) so anxious. I don't know. No, I'm trying to be dickhead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Um, I don't have to try. It just falls out. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me about a period of your life where you... um, experience significant trauma yeah okay so I actually wanted to talk about something a little unique that not a lot of people would understand or even think about Mm -hmm, Um, so I wanted to just you know step aside from really big ticket stuff and talk about something that actually affects me every single day of my life okay and that's the fact that I have um, emetophobia and obsessive compulsive disorder okay Um, and also have suffered with eating disorders all throughout my life since I was a toddler wow what did you say? Metaphobia? A metaphobia. A metaphobia? Yep. Tell me about a metaphobia. How did that come about? Okay. Um, when I was really young, um, mostly from far back before I can remember, I always um, had really strong like rejection to the idea of body, bodily fluids. So as a baby, if I'd had to... Um, you know, go to the toilet or something like that, I would just cry over and over and over again. And my parents don't really know where it stemmed from, my fear of that. But the way that sort of developed into a metaphobia was um, I experienced something called stomach migraines when I was a kid. 
and unlike normal migraines that adults get which I do get now as a child it comes on as stomach pain and it's an onset of really quick violent vomiting and it would come and go as quick as it came like you would just one minute I would be completely fine out playing like playing with toys and then I would just come up to my mum and be like my tummy hurts and then I would just be like profusely throwing up (laughs) Um, and she knew it was a stomach migraine and then I would be doing that for an hour, two hours, whatever and then immediately when it stopped I would just get back up and continue my day. Wow. Yeah. So, (laughs) sorry, can we just step back for just a second? Can you define emetophobia for people? Yeah, so emetophobia is a extreme irrational fear of vomiting um the smell of vomit the sound of vomit other people vomiting yourself vomiting just vomit in general it so this is a recurring trauma for you yes yeah, since i was a born yeah something i've lived with forever wow and yeah you're saying like i often ask people when was the first time you remember this but it there is no time where it's not occurred for you exactly so yeah i don't know what life is like without it but you do vomit um very rarely so I suppose later we can get into how I've gone my entire life with vomiting very tiny, tiny, like, times. Like, it's usually well over decades between. So, uh, sorry, my my brain's just going 100 yeah. miles a minute now. Uh, I, I'm curious as to how the stomach migraines and consequent, um, you know, quick, swift, violent by the sound of it, bursts of vomiting mm. would sort of almost cement that emetophobia and and make it so much worse so like a vicious cycle it is and it also fear of vomiting stresses you out causes my stomach migraines which makes you vomit and round and round and round you go and um, apparently stomach migraines can also be caused by certain additives in food nitrites things like that oh okay there is one specific memory i have um local fish and chip shop i had a pluto pup and stomach migraine like not even hours later caused by the the additives the preservatives i also have a very mild allergy to preservatives Mm -hmm. so depending on the type of preservative i will get a rash on my face and things like that Mm. but as as a kid i'm pretty sure it was a contributing factor to stomach migraines then it's and it's that's not something you can sort of unlike a lot of different other forms of trauma you, you you can move past it you can do things beyond it but for you your your trauma is like Every day, every mealtime. Yep. Um, that also sparked my anorexic tendencies at a very young age. Um, I stopped eating just completely. And a lot of people, when I tell them that, they, they think it's absolutely bizarre because they're sort of like, oh, anorexia, you're starving yourself so you can be skinny. And that's not the case at all with anorexia. It's, that's not, it's a control thing. Um, I stopped eating. And it got to the point my parents couldn't get me to fed. They have to. They had to race me to the hospital. I had to be put on a IV drip as a toddler or really young child, somewhere in that time frame. So, and you mentioned OCD. So where does how does the OCD fit? Is it fit over that, or do you think it's so sits the under obsessive it? compulsive disorder had been created when I started to do my own research and learn about how I could avoid vomiting. Um, So then I would have these, um, I now have a really big set of rules. 
surrounding my life and my lifestyle. Would you be comfortable sharing? Yeah, some yeah, of yeah. Them? So, um, all right. So basically, I avoid a lot of things to do with food. Mm-hmm. It's honestly terrible. Um, I so hypothetically, I refuse to eat out at restaurants. Um, when I do, it's I have to eat a safe food of mine. So you have safe foods. I have safe foods, one hundred percent. So sort of like just on. Yeah. When you say that, my mind immediately goes to, so for example, when I go to a new place that I've never been to before, I'll try a dish that I know that I like um, and then compare it to every other time I've eaten that dish at other restaurants and stuff. Like, you know, it might be, and that's not me, but I know a lot of people, it's like a Caesar salad, right? Because you can't stuff up a Caesar salad. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm sure you probably could, but (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like I go to different places and I'm like, I'll try the hot chips because I know I love hot chips and let's compare to... You know, who hasn't had the great chip debate between all the fast food restaurants Yeah, in their friend group? I still do it. Is that kind of what you mean? Like you pick a food that you know that you like and what goes into cooking it is less likely to yes. impact so you? Yes, so my safe foods, um, the way I determine a safe food is by its risk of causing um, foodborne illnesses, um, handling in the kitchen. I avoid salads for the reason that... People are most likely to get food poisoning from a salad than they are a meat dish. I avoid meats such as chicken or pork or lamb. I only eat beef when I'm out because it has the lowest risk of causing uh, food poisoning. Um, so I don't eat salads. I don't eat. I don't eat at new restaurants. I only eat at restaurants that I trust um, or that I know a lot of people in my my social circle have eaten that multiple times I don't mm-hmm. um that's that's pretty much it I don't I don't eat dairy or I eat very minimal dairy because I'm lactose intolerant as well and if I eat too much dairy it'll obviously spark my spark my emetophobia um so yeah, if you ever see me eating out, chances are I've plucked the lettuce off of a beef burger and that's the only thing I'm going to eat. It's all right. My, my, kids, <laughs> my kids pluck the lettuce off stuff too. It drives me spare. Which is bizarre because I love, I love, love salad. So at home I'm like always making salad, but I can only eat salad when I prepare it. <laughs> How does your – so your OCD is mostly food – related um food and health so with my emetophobia i'm also extremely fearful of any disease and illness so i i have to ask how are you coping in covid i have had probably the roughest year of my life okay yeah so a lot of um isolating a lot of um really bad depressive episodes um self-harm things like that Okay, so we've started the conversation around mental health. Like I'm yeah. talking socially, we started a conversation around mental health in COVID. Probably after, I think, the um, the isolation that was early in the year when people started coming back out. And I have to be honest, for people who work in mental health, we were in the background going, um, people are not going to be okay. People are going to yeah. not be okay. We need more resources so that we can actually help them. And then when the initial shock of it kind of wore off, everybody wasn't okay. Not everybody, but so many people were not okay. Yeah. And, you know, 
I, I'm a psychologist and we talk amongst ourselves um, about how you're coping because we are getting smashed, absolutely smashed because we literally don't have the resources. I know. The wait times for me to see any sort of mental health professional has been And we hate shocking. that so bad. Like um, I know people who, whose books are closed for most of 2021 and it's – we hate it because we want to be able to help everybody, but we know that if we actually did do that, like when we were in isolation and when everyone was in lockdown, everyone was working from home, I would do 15 hour days, 16 hour days. Yeah. And we just went, we can, this can't keep going. Like, yes, in the crisis, you, you turn up and you work and you do what you have to, you do what you can, but it just kept going and kept going and kept going. And I think, you know, when you talk about how COVID impacted on you mm. and how it's affected your ability to access resources on the other side as a resource, we hear you. We're desperately trying to Yeah, there's not enough there's hours. Just not enough people to assist with yeah. Yeah. Um, so going back to how COVID affected you this year, you were saying you had some depressive episodes and you really struggled in isolation mm. and that there was some self harming. So what did that look like? Um so self harm is well, I do I do quite a few different things, but um, one of the things I suffer with is getting really angry. Um, and when I sort of go into like a rage episode, I, I kind of need to um, self-harm to like sort of snap myself out of it and nothing else really works. Okay. Um, and things that make me angry are usually things like, like, like the pandemic when I'm feeling like, I'm not getting anywhere anymore because I'm just going backwards. Things like that. Um, but also with the OCD stuff, I, I didn't. So outside of safe foods, if I, I go to a restaurant with and I eat safe foods, I then actually have a 72 hour rule, which is usually. So I live my life in what my rules would be a safe zone. Um, when I eat out somewhere for 72 hours, I'm in. A, like a, a danger zone for myself and my anxiety spikes for that 72 hours and I'm almost incapable of doing anything for those 72 hours. So that's one of the biggest OCD rules. Why 72 hours? Um, 72 hours is the max time that any type of um, foodborne illness can start. So very mild, mild um, right. food poisoning can take up to 72 hours. The violent ones are usually within like the first 24 to 48. Um, by yeah, by the hour of 48, I'm usually feeling less anxious, but my anxiety won't go away until the 72 hours. Wow. And you, you watch that? Yes. You monitor se- that? Yeah, for 72 hours. <laughs> okay. What would happen if you didn't? I'd, well, in, in my messed up mind, I'd get sick. Uh-huh. I see. So... Do you, okay, it's a bit of a chicken and an egg question. The, the, the vomiting phobia, Hmm. did that occur first or did the OCD kind of come first? Which, which I'm going to say the emetophobia just because it's, I mean, I guess it would be hard for an infant to start obsessive and compulsive behaviors. Well, that makes sense, though. That makes sense. I I didn't really, until I was a teenager and actually had access to the internet and started researching 
why humans were sick, why there's viral gastroenteritis, how it started and all that kind of thing. I obviously didn't think about it too much because, I mean, as a child, you can't, you're not (laughs) developed enough to be able to have that kind of critical thinking. Yeah. Um, So the OCD would have started when I was a teenager, when my second bout of anorexia started as well. Um, Just because... I I learnt so much from the internet that I probably shouldn't have about like norovirus and how it's the leading cause of virogastroenteritis and it takes a very, very tiny particle of feces or vomit from an infected person which can spread for way too far for my comfort zone and all you've got to do is inject like ingest like the tiniest particle and you could be prone to coming down with it. So I've spent my entire life avoiding places, avoiding people. I can't go home and not wash my hands. Like it's a big rule in my house that when we come home, we have to, the first thing we do is wash our hands. And when I wash my hands, I don't wash my hands like normal people. I've got to wash them and then wash them again. And if I'm feeling at a high risk on like a high risk day, I wash them three times and it's always with two to three pumps of soap. So I go through soap like too weekly. Much. You need oh yeah, weekly like it's just yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so normally at this point I kind of ask about what helps you and what what are yeah. healthy coping strategies. But I'm curious before we even branch into that, to do you can you? You're obviously really smart hmm. and <laughs> and have really good critical thinking skills but can you see in yourself even in a reflective way when it's a healthy coping strategy and when it's a maladaptive coping strategy and when they can turn on each other I can I yeah I can identify what my whether my coping strategies are healthy or not but um the OCD just doesn't allow me to change my course of thinking Hmm. it's like it's like a constant battle with myself like there's two parts of me and they're constantly fighting because I'm so insightful on what's happening in my brain and I can rationally think Mm. but it's constantly going to be fighting with the irrational side and it's usually the irrational side that wins um volumes louder on that side yeah yeah so January last year I um caught gastro off of my partner and it was awful most traumatizing event for me but um, this January rolled around and I knew I would be anxious about it. And this is, this is something that's kind of, um, different for people to know about, but the last week has been the most horrendous week for me already because it coming around to the anniversary of me catching gastro for the first time since I was a kid. That's how good I am at avoiding these things. And I just let my guard down that tiny little bit and caught it. So, um, What happened was last year I got sick on the second Monday of January on the 13th and for the entire week my OCD was fighting itself trying to work out whether my safe zone is after the second Monday of January or the 13th of January which actually falls on a Wednesday. Oh, I'm following. I see. Yeah, it's really bizarre and I mean people just think I'm a lunatic when I talk about stuff like this but I spent all week absolutely sick I was having physical symptoms like like just my body was almost um like 
mimicking what had happened last year just from the anxiety of it. And I couldn't... So you were having, like, physical symptoms. Yeah, I wasn't vomiting. Otherwise, I'd probably be in a psych ward by now if that happened. <laughs> okay. But what were some of the symptoms that was... Oh, like of... diarrhea, like stomach issues. I haven't been able to eat probably for a week. I'm seeing my doctor next week, but... Um... So it's like your body's re-experiencing that trauma. Yeah. A year later. Yeah, and my brain couldn't work out whether... Because I live in safe zones and danger zones, whether the safe zone was... I could be cleared after the second Monday of January or I had to wait till the Wednesday the 13th and I couldn't figure out that rule until Wednesday the 13th come around and I was so ill mentally and physically I was like well now I know Mm. every January on the 13th I'm gonna be just completely incapable of doing anything that day maybe do something else yeah (laughs) maybe have a nice relaxing day quiet day for you on that day yeah so um and yeah i'm still recovering from it even though nothing happened on wednesday the 13th it just stuck yeah it's funny how i hear people say so people who don't or have never really struggled with mental health uh, will say to people who do in a really closed-minded way not because they're bad people but because they've not experienced it um the most horrible throwaway line which is it's all in your head and my response is well yes (laughs) obviously obviously it doesn't make it sorry it doesn't make it any less valid just because it's not happening in your body um and then when we talk about like I talk a lot about the relationship between the mind and body and how particularly with children it sounds like you know this is really prevalent to to your story Mm. Kids don't have the same kind of language that we do as adults. Like they will use their bodies and their behaviours and and they're much more um, uh, physical around and expressive in their emotions than adults are. We speak much, well, hopefully, sometimes a lot better so that we can articulate in different ways and a lot better than children can around our emotions and stuff. And for little people... Uh, they will often manifest stress and anxiety and depression and mental health concerns through their little body. So stomach upsets, headaches, irritability, things like that will very much come from a place of their mental health rather than, but even adults as well. And there's some really seminal works on the relationship between the mind and the body. Um, Like one's called the body keeps the score. And it talks about when, when your brain's not okay, when your mind is not okay, then your body will start to tell you things, even things like when we stop sleeping properly. Yeah. That's like a, an indicator. We, we don't eat properly. We don't sleep properly. And they're like the two basic functions of human survival other than breathing. Yeah. And if we're not doing them properly, then things start to fall down. So it's really interesting that the relationship you have between your mind and body is, is such in battle with itself and and you were talking about you know one side fighting with the other side but this one's winning a lot more often than i want it to so when you when the side you want to win does win Mm. what happens so how 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 do you get that win um or how have you in the past well i've definitely challenged myself a lot when i'm in it more when i'm feeling in a better state mentally in general Mm -hmm. from a better 
like time of my life I'm generally more able to take risks um, and I have taken small steps especially um, I was put into a DBT program and um, due to other mental health issues and she ended up pulling me out of it because she wanted to work on the OCD and the emetophobia so badly because it was what was disrupting my life so much and she made me complete like tasks and every time I would complete a small task like I had a ladder of how significant they are yep. and started very low and whenever I would complete something I would like reward myself um I ended up putting money away into a separate bank account every time I completed a task um but I feel like the thing that keeps my that side of my brain able to keep going is every time I complete a task and nothing bad happens it gives me that little extra motivation to do the next task yeah but then if I'm because I have like a cyclic depressive episodes when I go into another depressive episode all that will be wiped and I have to start again so it's like what you're talking about is these are resilience building mm. exercises is what you're working on and, and every time you build. So it's really playing to your strength of, yeah. of personal insight and your ability to, to learn things and gain yeah. knowledge and use that knowledge. So you, you, know, you, you said when you were a teenager you went on the internet and you learned all about these diseases and, that, and the impact that had on you. So kind of using that same skill in a healthier, more adaptive way. Yeah by going well I did this thing and I achieved this thing so I can do it again so it's like almost testing that that evidence so you, it's like scientists you're testing the evidence of what you can and can't do and when so it's, it's called mastery so when you master something little it gives you more confidence to master something a little bit bigger because yeah. you know that you could do that thing that was a step behind it or a step lower like on the ladder then you can step it up to the next one and the next one and the next one yeah. So only, that's really cool. The only problem with that is I only go so far. <laughs> For now. For now, yeah. But the, the real big items on the top of the ladder was always um, – there were some things that was never going to happen. I actually uh, – you might be horrified by this. I had my therapist who I just quit therapy with. Um, she had offered to self-induce vomiting in front of me as the end goal for exposure therapy to prove to me that she could just bounce back from it and be fine. And that's when I was like, we're no longer going through with exposure therapy. I'm not doing that. There is absolutely not a snowball's chance in hell I'm going to be doing that. <laughs> so first of all, thank you for using snowball's chance in hell. It's an excellent <laughs> saying and it needs to come back. Yeah. Uh, my grandmother used to say it. <laughs> I love it. It's, there's not a snowball's chance in hell. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Oh, yeah, far out. My first thought, and I realise this is probably not what my first thought should be, but my first thought is you can vomit on command. Oh, I suppose you could. Well, if people with eating disorders can definitely confirm, yes, you can. Oh, no, I meant the therapist, yeah. Oh, like well, her doing she it. Would, she was she offering would to just, do it. Yeah, I mean, maybe she needs therapy, but she would probably just self-induce the same way bulimics would. Right, of course. you just got to trigger that gag reflex. Um, well, I'm... And line your stomach beforehand, I suppose. Okay, this is well, let's not make this an instructional video. <laughs> oh, um, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> Edit. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. But I'm, yeah, I'm assuming that's what she would have done. <laughs> Which, why would you do that to someone who has um, an eating disorder anyway? But okay. Well, I can see the, the theory behind it, but I don't know that I would sort of, I don't think I'd be running with that one. Um, so what, what what are some of the healthy coping strategies that work for you? Because there's obviously a lot of maladaptive coping strategies mm. that feed into the, the, the side of your brain that is that wins sometimes because it's louder. But what about the other side? What are some of the healthy things that you've uh, – you know, you talk about the latter, but little stuff. don't think I really cope to be honest I don't think I'm there yet that is really honest Thank yeah I and that's okay yeah. that's that's totally okay I mean look I'm I'm in a support group and a metaphobia support group yeah wow and that that was a huge step for me because it's really good to have open discussions with other people like you and we can start to rationalize together and people come on there and they post when they're having a crisis of their own, like someone in their house is sick or they feel sick and everyone else, even though we all suffer with the same thing, we calm each other down and we help to rationalize each other's thoughts and things like that. I think yeah. maybe that might be a coping mechanism I found for myself that's positive, yeah. that I've been able to seek help from other people like me. Because for a very long time, because it's so rare, mm. Like, I thought I was just bizarre. <laughs> like, I thought I was just very a peculiar person. Like, it's such a weird thing. But I, when I was, like, 12, I read in a magazine, like a woman's weekly magazine of a story of a lady who had, had overcome it. And I remember I was so happy I brought it to my parents. I was like, look at this, someone else is like me in the world. And then as, as I've grown up, I've been able to seek out many other people that are like me. So wow. it makes it less lonely. Yeah, I would imagine that. I would imagine that it would feel really isolating to be in that position, watching seemingly the rest of the world just not care. Yeah. Like they just go to restaurants. Well, just... you get very invalidated, which is quite had triggered a lot of other health issues with me, mental health issues with me. The constant invalidation when I was younger, because I mean, no one understood it. No one was really like. Why are you being a drama queen? Why are you overreacting? Like, why are you like this? Sort of like it's all in your head. Yeah, like that kind of mentality. Right. It really like... So, yeah, when I finally found out more information on it when I was older, it was good validation for me to mm. make me finally realise that I'm not, um, you know, crazy. <laughs> no, definitely not crazy. Like, what I feel is valid. Yeah. Inter that's so yeah I think you've touched a really important nerve here around validating mm. um sometimes people sort of um expect that validation comes from shared experience and it doesn't it doesn't have to come from um you know uh, I know you know yeah or I understand or Sometimes I think when people are saying I'm not okay and this is why and someone turns around and goes, oh, I understand, it's actually kind of infuriating because it's like, well, it's not about you right now. Exactly. Um, exactly. You know, it's – Like you know that they, their intentions are good but 
it, sometimes you just need the other person to not say stuff like that and just listen I think what to they you. mean to say is, I hear you, yeah. but we don't know how to say, I hear you. I hear you. Or even to go, you know what? Like sometimes just go, dude, that's fucked. Yeah. That's so shit. And I'm sorry that's happening. For we you. should normalize saying, I hear you. <laughs> totally. Let's, let's do that. Normalize that. So we're not always saying, yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> Or that happened to me. No, 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 no. All right. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show today, Rachel, um, and sharing your experiences. Thank you for joining me for the Trauma Tales. A new episode will be released every fortnight and they will cover all areas and topics where trauma has occurred. I'm really looking forward to sharing these with you. If you'd like to follow our social pages, the links are in the show notes. Let us know what you think. If this episode of The Trauma Tales has impacted on you, please contact one of the following resources. Lifeline, Kids Helpline, 1-800-RESPECT, Men's Helpline. The contact details for each of these are in the show notes. Or if you would like to contact us to share your story on our podcast, or if you want to sponsor our show, please email us at thetraumatales, all lowercase, all one word, at gmail.com.